You sisters know that my skin has been glowing lately, and I'm here to tell you my secret. Oak Essentials. You've heard us talk about their line of luxurious products before, and we're so excited to have them as a sponsor of OK Sister Podcast because now you can join in on the glowy goodness. You know Oak Essentials is legit because it was created by none other than our favorite brand ever, Jenny Kane. Oak Essentials is known for its simple approach to self-care with a lineup of foundational skincare staples made with high-quality ingredients that drive results. It aims to unlock healthy, glowing skin with decadent and hydrating ingredients that give you a luxe, dewy glow. I won't shut up about the Moisture Rich Balm. It's a nutrient-rich balm that supports collagen production and delivers serious hydration for a luminous glow. And a luminous glow indeed. The way my skin feels like butter after applying this balm. This balm will make you never want to wear makeup again. And you can apply generously during your night routine to lock in moisture as you dream. It's the definition of beauty sleep. Treat yourself or someone else this season. You sisters will get 15% off and a free organic honey-based restorative mask with their first order. Oh my God, what a deal. When you use code OKSIS15 at checkout. That's right. 15% off plus a gift with your first order at O-A-K-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-S.com. Promo code OKSIS15, OKAYSIS15. Go ahead and treat yourself. From luxurious skincare to meaningful self care, you deserve it. Welcome to OKSIS. We are two cultural observers and curious minds who happen to be related. I'm Scout. And I'm Maddie. Get ready for some serious sororal energy as we chat about and comment on one another's current fixation of the week. Ready, ready sisters? sisters? Hello, my name is Maddie. And I am Scout, and welcome to OKSIS Podcast. We are sisters IRL, and I appreciate you so much, Mads, that you let me do my proper intro this time. You know what? I'm just always thinking of others. I'm putting others first. Um, okay. Just like always, tr- always trying to help the masses and lend a helping hand. Um, you know, I can, uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. Anyways, I was going to say, that's a trait. That's a trait of mine. I was going to say, I was going to say history uh, has, you know, presented evidence otherwise, but that's okay. (laughs) Oh gosh. Oh my God. So a couple things I've consumed so much content this weekend. Mm. Um, first off. I Shit's Creek is now on Netflix, but I already watched it the last season. I've already watched it on like the pop TV app. And but what I didn't watch was this like 45 do- 45 minute documentary that they made about the final season and just, you know, how much the public has revered this show and the and the audience participation and the LGBTQ community and how much they've been impacted by the show. And it was, it's just such a wholesome, like, oh, just so tender. And I think something that that m- makes them unique is that they filmed everything in Canada. And all of the crew, all of the cast is very, like, local. And it seems like a family on set. And they're very intimate. Like, you're, you know, they're not in, like, Hollywood. They're not surrounded by, I think, 
you know, big budgets and things like that. They were really scrappy and familial. And you feel that through the show. Like it really comes across. And I think people resonated with that. And I would highly recommend if you're obviously a Schitt's Creek fan. I mean, if you're not, I don't really understand if like if you're a human being with a pulse. But you should watch the last season on Netflix right now and then watch that documentary. Also, get tissues. You're going to cry. It reminded me a little bit of like the um, Game of Thrones um, documentary that they did about the last season, but I mean, nothing can compare to the Game of Thrones, but I know, I, I know, but I was watching an interview with Alexis, the woman who plays Alexis and she Annie Murphy. Yeah. She said that she was going to quit acting like that week and she had $3 in her bank account when she got the audition for Schitt's Creek, which I think is wild. I think that's the same story with John Krasinski in the office. Like it's I think also he was the like same story from uh, this is us. The sister. Oh, Justin. No, oh. the sister. One of the the siblings. Oh, 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 yeah. Because I, I think that's a. I mean, I think that's a story for a lot of actors. Like they're about to quit, and they're like, okay, just one more. I mean, I just watched La La Land last night, and that's exactly what happened to her too. Like mm-hmm. she, he, um, what's his name? Ryan Gosling was like, you just go on this one audition, and she was like, I'm done with it. It hurts too much to be rejected so much, and she's on it for six years. And then she does that audition and it's her big break. It's so it's just really amazing to see. And um, the documentary walks through like her audition process and how they actually it actually took them a long time to find um, that character. And then Annie Murphy came in and it was like just perfect chemistry. Um, yeah. So th- I, I watched that. But I also watched all of Emily in Paris. Have you heard of this show? How I I don't understand Mads. Like, I'm concerned for the amount of content you consume. Yeah, my there's not much, like, room in my head anymore. Like, it is all consumed by content. I um I watched Ford vs. Ferrari last night because Dad said it was a good movie. It is a very good movie. Adam and I, it's a tearjerker. We were crying at some points. It is such a good movie with Matt Damon and Christian Bale. Christian Bale's acting is superb just beyond as always he gives an incredible performance every single time but I finally got around to watching Ford versus Ferrari and I I highly recommend it's like a good movie night kind of thing so I completely disagree I thought it was like one of the most basic white guy movies where these two mega white male stars were just like I need to get into the Oscar circuit. I need to get a nomination. What do I do? Oh, a race car movie where I just like jerk each other off and I'm a white man. That is that is all. I thought Matt Damon, like they were so half-assing it. Like it was so clear. They were like this. I just want an Oscar. I want to be in the Oscar conversation this year. I, or was, it was I wasn't. Year. I didn't think Matt Damon's performance was incredible, but Christian Bale's was. He did yeah. a very good job. And, oh, my God, a white man can make a movie. Calm down. It was a really good movie. Know, just because there are two white men doesn't mean it's not a good movie. Sure. It's just, like, are we, are, we're done with making these types of movies. I'm sorry. Like, let's, let's, let's make other stories. I thought it was a really good movie about winning, about competition, about being in a state of complete passion in your life, about giving it your all, and I'm not going to spoil the ending because it was unexpected. But anyways, I really enjoyed the movie, and it left me... I walked away thinking, like, 
how many times do I feel so alive in my life? You know, this man, Christian Bale's character, dedicated himself to feeling so alive and passionate at all times. And, and I thought that was really admirable. Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll have to get everyone else's input, I think. Anyways, um, um, I... Let me, well, let me... Wait, wait, wait. Let me give my Emily in Paris... Uh, okay, but don't, don't give anything away because I want to watch it. I'm not giving anything away. I was so excited for this show okay Darren Starr creator of Sex and the City creator of Younger he is the creator of Emily in Paris and I love Younger I love these shows kind of like the bold type where it's just like cheesy and female oriented and boss babes but like also really good and nuanced this wasn't it for me I'm sorry like I just thought the corniness was to a degree that like even I couldn't tolerate, which is saying a lot. Uh, look, it's an easy watch. What else are we going to watch these days? There's really nothing else. And it's like, it, it brings a little flutter to your heart. It's joyful. It's in Paris. I mean, everyone else adjacent to Lily um, Collins is great. Everyone's Parisian, very, you know, sophisticated and elegant, very hot men. I will say that. There are some hot Parisian men in this show. She is just, I, I'm a little confused by um, her acting ability. I just, it was like, I was really not rooting for her. And she is the main character, so it's kind of hard to base a show on someone you're not really, you know, in tune with or rooting for. But, you know, overall, it's fall. Get cozy. Watch a show about Paris because we, we can't go to Paris right now. So might as well. But uh, the courtiness was unparalleled. I will say that. Okay, well, I think I'm still gonna watch it. You haven't seen Girl from Impenmina yet, which is I know you're like a you're like a that's like your wet dream. You keep like mentioning the show because off the you rails. won't watch it. I don't know why you won't watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I mean, okay, I guess I know that the subtitles are like you have to be you know paying super attention, but it's really really good. Okay, anyways, I also have one other. So I'm looking for a new show. I know that this. is I a, just gave you one. I know, but l listen to what I've been. Thinking about watching Mad Men. Never seen oh, it. Oh, you've never seen Mad Men? Never oh seen Mad God. Men. Is this inspired by my reel that I posted, which, by the way, got so many views, I just want to point out, um, because the whole caption was about Don Draper and his girlfriend and that one cringy scene. Is this inspired by that? Sure. Um, you reminded me that I have not seen it, and... People have told me all the time that I would love it. I just have a hard time watching shows that I have to pay attention to. But then when I start watching them, I end up, I end up loving it, like Succession okay, and things like that. So Here's my here's my review on Mad Men. Okay. The first, I, I mean, I haven't seen it in so long, so I can't speak with accuracy on the seasons. But the first, like, four seasons are incredible because mm -hmm. the, the storyline's good. It's not a drama that's like, has you on the edge of your seat. It's much more just kind of like, the day-to-day -day life of these people. The costumes are obviously amazing. The set's obviously amazing. It completely places you back into that era. And I love when they go to California to see California in the 60s is mm. so, so inspiring. Like, all, everything about it is amazing. Mid-century modern everywhere. If I could dress like the women, I would. Um, the characters are amazing. Don Draper's amazing, obviously. I would say, though, that I, I tapered off towards the end. I haven't seen the last two seasons because the plot line just wasn't there. Like, it wasn't thickening. It wasn't continuing. It just kind of became like, okay, I feel like I've seen four seasons of Mad Men. I feel like I've seen all of the seasons of Mad Men, if that makes sense. It, 
Yeah, I think that happens with a lot of shows where the last two seasons just go way downhill and they don't know where when to stop. Yeah. When, you know, and I mean, that's kind of the magic of what Shit's Creek did because they were like, we're going to end at the height. You know, we don't and which I could have seen if they had gone a little longer, maybe it would have, you know, been a little Sex dicey. I think Sex and the City at the did the same. Yeah, most shows, they go on for too long. So it's just like, like that, the that office. Makes, that, that makes it. Oh my god! I when Mike, wait, why what, did they continue when Michael Scott I, left? Why? I don't even. Why? I, I don't. I don't even remember. The no, last I rewatched seasons. The Office like two months ago, and I stopped when Michael Scott left. There was. There's, there's no, no reason. Point. There's no, no point. Same oh. with One Tree Hill. One Tree Hill was terrible at the end. Yeah. Guess what oh, movie gosh. I watched last night after Ford and Ferrari because I decided to stay up late till eleven. Whoa! What? It's complicated for you. <gasps> That is so funny you say that because I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, so I want to watch a rom-com, a feel-good movie. It's Sunday. I want to be cozy even though it's 90 degrees out. But I was thinking like I am due for my monthly It's Complicated viewing. Yeah. So um, Adam and I watched it. It was Adam's first time seeing it. So Did that he love was, it? I think so. He, he agreed with me. So It's Complicated is really my first introduction to Alec Baldwin because I never watched 30 Rock. And mm. his character in It's Complicated is sleazy. Like, it's a little, you know, misogynistic, a little cliche. And so that's what I've always thought of Alec Baldwin. And then I know him as playing Trump on SNL. So, like, his character is not that right. great in my mind. But Adam is such an Alec Baldwin fan. And so it was really interesting for him to see him in that um, character and agreed with me that he was just super cringy and strange. So but I thought that like was that really he's like that in 30 Rock. He's like a asshole in 30 Rock yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam thought Alec Baldwin was supposed to be charming, and I'm like, he is, but in that, oh, like, yeah. creepy way. Like, he's kind of creepy, cringy. But anyways, it was really great, and I want to talk about SNL. I haven't watched the entire episode, but they did recap the presidential debate, which has happened since we've last podcasted. Oy vey, sisters. And um, Joe Biden is obviously played by Jim Carrey, which is incredible. No, what do you mean, obviously? I haven't seen SNL. This is not fair. You can't okay, Mads, say Okay, Matt, there this. was a trailer that came out last week that said that Jim Carrey is playing Joe <sighs> Biden. Okay. So, anyways, I'm just pointing out one thing that was said by Kamala Harris. I forget her name. Who plays Kamala Harris? She's Maya um, Rudolph. Yeah, yeah. That's Maya Rudolph. Yeah, yeah. Which is, the like, it's so perfect. She came on stage and just, WAP doesn't mean what you think it means, Maddie. WAP means woman as president. Oh, that's really good. Rebrand. Yeah. She came out. She's like, I would prefer this to be a WAP woman as president, but I'll deal with being the vice president for now. It was really good. So um, Love it. highly suggest everybody watches SNL for the presidential debate recap and highly suggest that y'all vote. Like, uh, oh, please, yes. please, everybody well, vote. First, first of all, why did you just say y'all? That was very um, unsettling. <laughs> I don't even know where that Okay, you know from. what? I, I it's, It felt really right in the moment. And it I'm did. Also listening. Y'all vote! Every, yeah, it just like feels like a y'all situation. And plus, I'm listening to country now. My girl Whitney Eckes made me a whole playlist. And it's, it's uh, seeping into my consciousness. I love it so much. It's just, you know, country's music is very similar to it's just it's just soulful like it's so simple and it's just the joy it's the joyful simple moments in life they're praising god left and right they're praising being alive and it's just takes you back to a root of simplicity i just i'm just into it right now 
So Mads' face looks great because Mads judges the shit out of me on a daily basis. I I don't know how to respond. Um, This is the worst news I think I could ever hear about someone that was related to me. I know that this is going to give me enemies, and that is fine. This is a road that I, I will take. Country music is the worst genre of music. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it. I cannot believe you're enjoying it. This makes me... I, I have no words. You really sprung this on me. You're making well, me speechless If here. you really think about it and listen to certain songs, country music is very simplistic storytelling. And it's so simplistic but packs such a punch every time. They have one message in the song and they want to get it yeah, across. Yeah, it's to drink beer it's and not. to... No, there's such great stuff. This one's for the girls. Here, drinking those ice cold beers. No, talk no. about girls. Talk about trucks. Talk about. Okay. Have you heard that song? Maddie, not every fucking country song's gonna be good. This is like me saying, Call Me Maybe is like a representation of all pop music. That is ridiculous. It's a great, it's a great song. Have you heard This One's for the Girls by Martina, Martina McBride? No, you haven't. Or God Bless the Broken Road by Rascal Flatts. Yes, of course I've heard that song because it was in the Hannah Montana movie. Country music. Country music. Anyway, Shaman Dirk listens to country music. Everyone's listening to country music. My blood pressure is high. My blood pressure is high. My blood pressure is high because I don't appreciate the judgment. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's what I that's my role on this podcast. I need to take I need to ground you and get you back to like where our roots are, which is What's our roots? Underground rap and Under, okay, Andre, what? <laughs> Andre what? 3000. You also, I made the most amazing playlist that I, oh, well, one, you don't have Spotify, so it's just like, what the fuck? But anyways, I sent you screenshots of this most peaceful, I incredible I actually don't pod- think the screenshots came through because I didn't see them. Oh, Let me check real okay, quick. I need to, I need to resend because this is where you should be spending your musical consumption, not country music. This oh, is, I got I'm, them. I got them. I made a playlist of Carol King, Joni Mitchell, the Bee Gees, just inc- Van Morrison, just like very peaceful, nostalgic type of of uh, songs. And yeah. you can also just uh, well, Carol King for us, we grew up on her. So whenever I hear her songs, whenever you just hear her voice, I like start to cry. And it's so funny because Gr- Gilmore Girls kind of like put put her on the map like moderner modernly, I believe, but. It's just, it's a great vibe. I need to send it to you. It's good, like, background music throughout the house, you know? Yeah, no, Carol King was always Mads, circa Mads, 16 years old, writing in her journal because I wrote in a journal, listening to Carol King on a rainy day, drinking a chai latte that she made from home. Oh, my God. That that description just, like, made my... That so just like accurate. made me so happy, and like, where is that time in my life? I need to be transported back. I was so emo. It's just, it's fabulous. I mean, I think I was the most, the most of the yeah. most emo. I mean, I was inspired by you. So yeah, except you did it with Carol King, and I was like listening to something corporate or something like that. Something um, corporate? Yeah, Constantine. Remember that song, Constantine? It's like twelve minutes long. Oh jeez. And it's really, really depressing. And I listen to it all the time driving at night. Yeah, good times. Really good times. Um, Anyways, um, let's talk about housekeeping real quick. Sisters, we have a secret Facebook group. It's OK Sisters. 
And we also have a newsletter that comes out every single Monday, which you can sign up at okcispodcast.com or the link in the show notes or the link in our bio on Instagram at okcispodcast. And if you like OKSIS, are part of the sisterhood, we would super appreciate it if you would text one of your close friends your favorite episode because that's how the world goes round. That's not how the world goes round. That's how our world goes around in the OKSIS Mm -hmm. stratosphere. And, of course, um, rate, review, subscribe. Woohoo! Woohoo! Yeah, so uh, let's get into this episode because now that we've completely butchered every content music thing we listen to consume and watch in the past that wasn't butchered that wasn't butchered i think people would pay for this type of curation of content and we have just delivered (gasps) them with the most premium oh finish just okay just real quick update from last week's episode finish jessica simpson's memoir oh wow 10 out of 10 highly recommend i feel as if i know her i feel like her soul comes through on those pages so significantly and it's not even that I can super relate to her you know she comes from the church and the south and has a very strong faith I mean the faith part I get you know but has a very strong faith in Jesus was a virgin till marriage I mean just really kind of this she really yeah she's really kind of this fits into this not stereotypical but you know cliche mold of of um religious virgin hot girl But she is so much more inside and it shows what she was chosen to be picked apart about in the public as well as where her mission, passion and purpose really does lie and how Mm -hmm. good of a person she truly is. And so I I really highly recommend the book. It, It is very honest and very vulnerable. And since I had such a great time reading her autobiography, I've decided or memoir, I've decided to jump onto Demi Moore's memoir now. So. I'm reading Demi Moore's memoir. I'm not, I, I don't really have much of an association with Demi Moore other than she like dated Ashton Kutcher. So I'm learning a lot. We're still in her childhood. So I will report back on the status of that memoir, but I'm going down the women memoir rabbit hole. Love that. Um, I was once on a plane with all four of, or no, all three of Demi Moore's children. And they are just like goals. If you don't I, know them, look I, them up on Instagram yeah, and you'll are. just like be jealous of their lifestyle and fashion. Um, also, this is great news because Mariah Carey's memoir is yes. coming out. And apparently it's going to be very similar to Jessica Simpson in like a tell all, leaving it all on the page. Like she's going to really n- not hold anything back. I'm 100% going to read that. I'm so yeah. here for these women coming forth. And telling the actual story versus the Hollywood story we've been given because they are quite different. So I'm really excited for Mariah Carey's as well. Um, Okay, let's get into this episode. We had, oh my goodness, Green Girl Leah, Leah Thomas. Green green Girl Leah. Literally, I I can't not see her name that way. I just love her so much. Green Girl so Leah. We have Leah, Leah, Th- Leah yeah, Thomas. I was going to call Green Girl Leah. Leah Thomas. <laughs> Leah Thomas. So... You probably have seen her all over Instagram. She coined the term intersectional environmentalism. And essentially it is the blend or the kind of exploration of this relationship between social justice and environmentalism. And it's rooted in anti-racism, but also, um, you know, climate change and, and how how environmentalism has actually disproportionately affected black and brown communities, which I think is just something 
that a lot of people are not talking about right now. We hear a lot about climate change, but we don't hear about the nuances of how it affects different communities differently. Yeah. So she was a wealth of knowledge. She is extremely serene, extremely articulate, and you can tell she's she her brain is kind her brain like contains things that I don't think the masses see. And I think she's yeah. able to bring it forth in such an approachable beautiful and genuine and caring way even though the topics she talks about warrant anger and warrant you know an outburst so she is Mm -hmm. just a really 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 amazing woman to look up to and I'm so excited we got to have her on the podcast and we hope you sisters learn a thing or two enjoy ever since having a baby I've been extremely conscious about what I spend my money on and which products I use and clothing is no different I want my wardrobe to be sustainable, good quality, and timeless. You have to be talking about Whimsy and Row, right? Whimsy and Row is an LA grown, eco conscious brand born out of the love for cute, comfy, and classic styles. Every piece is made by women for women. Quality goods, local production, natural and organic fabrics. Yes, please give me all the linens. Just like OK Sister, Whimsy and Row is based on the idea that women are multidimensional. There's a balance of flirty feminine and minimal masculine in all of our wardrobes, and Whimsy and Row means exactly that. From special occasions to everyday effortless styles, their clothing is meant to mix and match and wear on repeat. I have been wearing their Kira pant in black linen probably three times a week. Sisters, if you've been listening to this podcast or following me on Instagram, you know that Whimsy and Rose Kira Pant in Black Linen is a sisterhood staple at this point. Founder Rachel Temko created the brand back in 2014 because she wanted to create an approachable and inclusive brand that cared for the people and the planet first. Get the full Whimsy experience IRL at their Venice location or shop online at whimsyandrow.com. Their store in Venice is so cute, I can attest. And if you're in LA, I highly recommend stopping by. They are always putting on these amazing community events. They just launched their spring summer collection and we will be living in it all summer long. Visit their website, whimsyandrow.com. That's W-H-I-M-S-Y-A-N-D-R-O-W.com and use code OKSISTER for 15% off. Sisters, my goal these days is to always look put together when I leave the house. Nothing over the top or super dressed up or anything like that. I just want to look put together and feel good about what I'm wearing in an effortless yet refined way. When I look at my closet every single morning and think about what I can wear that is chic and intentional, I usually end up grabbing one of my Jenny Kane sweaters and I always end up loving the way I look and the way I feel in them. You all know, sisters, that when I envision my highest self, I am wearing Jenny Kane. Their sweaters are the quintessential must-have item. I cannot stop wearing my Marina set. I throw it on and immediately feel like I'm in a Nancy Myers movie. Like I could just walk on the beach in Santa Barbara. It is the coastal grandma aesthetic. My favorite Jenny Kane sweater right now is their everyday sweater in taupe. This is the definition of a staple that every woman must have in their wardrobe. Sisters, trust me on this one. I wear it with leggings, oversized jeans 
jeans and a little kitten heel or a silk maxi skirt. Legit, Mads and I are so obsessed with wearing our Johnny Kane sweaters that we've literally shown up both wearing the same sweater once. The white alpaca cocoon crew neck, which is this deliciously oversized sweater. Yeah, that moment takes the cake. Both of us walking in with our matching Jenny Kane sweaters. We're obsessed. Can't take them off. Wearing them every day. The type of staples that save your outfit. That is what I love about their entire collection. It is truly the art of simplicity. They focus on comfort, quality, and timeless design. So you can curate a wardrobe that never goes out of style. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code OKSIS at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code OKSIS. O-K-A-Y-S-I-S. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Green girl, Leah. Green girl, Leah. Whenever I see your name on Instagram, I don't know why, but that is the chant that I just presumably do in my head. Same. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Wait, okay. Real quick. I don't know if you've connected these dots or not, but right when your Instagram blew up, we actually hopped on a call to work together at Scout's Agency. Oh, duh. And then, and then literally, I was on a podcast two weeks later, and someone's current fixation was with Brightland, Brightland's founder, Ashwarya. Oh, she's she was great. like, My current fixation is intersectional environmentalism by Leah. And I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. She's everywhere. I can't escape her. That reminds me, I definitely need to follow up with her, but I'm so in love with Brightland. I have like the whole collection. It's such a cool brand sustainable mission-based and she's a woman of color so it's just like yeah all the all the the boxes check check oh my god it's so great to see you in the flesh well not really it's over zoom but I just as scout said we've been seeing you blowing up all over Instagram we're gonna get into it but it's so great to finally see you you know face to face I'm super pumped to be here and you all are just like so funny and so smart and so great. So I'm super pumped. Okay. Should we get into current fixations? Yes, I will start. So my current fixation is veryshop.com. It's like a curated shop of home goods. They also have a lot of fashion. Um, And I am for some reason, I don't know why, you know, when you, really want something but you won't pull the trigger but then you'll buy something that's the same amount on something random that's <laughs> yeah. that's where I'm at with this these glassware I think it's because I don't technically need them but everything on very shop like sometimes before I go to bed if I want to calm down and be inspired I'll just scroll through very shop because the it is the most curated beautiful minimalistic soothing good for the soul products that they have mm-hmm. and I actually just got their public good soap because I am I I'm always washing my hands I don't know why um but I go well, through because so- it's co- it's no but I just pandemic, like so. I just like go through soap really quickly so okay. I but I want really beautiful looking soap but I also don't want to spend thirty fucking dollars every two weeks so they mm-hmm. have a brand called Public Goods on Very Shop and it's like nine dollars for the bottle and then it comes with the refill bags which you might be interested in because I think that's sustainable think that's good for the environment not sure but you can let me know and um, that way I can just buy these you know big refillable soap bags and keep refilling the same soap dispenser so I bought two to try them out 
here to say it's great. It's really cute. It says it's all good on it. So, you know, it's kind of like a cute little daily mantra. But very shop has is where it's at. And, and you know, the stuff is pretty, pretty well priced. It's super. There's things that are really, really approachable and affordable and then some more other high end things. But I just love their curated collection. Yeah. Vera Shop. So one uh, or my boyfriend's friend was one of the founding team members of Vera Shop. So I'm very familiar with this platform. But to me, it's like Revolve meets Amazon meets like Good Trade. Meet. It's just like all of the things. I wouldn't go Revolve. Well, some of the brands. Uh-huh. I would no. go like more anthropology. Okay. Anthropology. Let's throw that in there too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's great. I love Vera Shop. Yeah, it is a awesome. very soothing uh, e-commerce experience. That mm-hmm. is for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. My no. current fixation. So I have been trying to get my hands on this. It is Goldie's Superfood Lattes. Now, Trinity, she is the founder of this brand and... She's a black woman, so it's a black-owned business, and it has been sold out left and right. I had to hop on right when they restocked to get um, my sampler because everyone knows that I am into matcha these days. I'm into these, like, superfood blends that you're able to just pour some hot water in. I use my electric frother. It's a nice little, like, midday pick-me-up so you don't have to have more coffee. So right now I'm drinking the cacao turmeric latte blend and it is superb you know it's just I mean look how cute it is too we'll post it on Instagram but just like oh the aesthetics made for the gram again hits all the boxes yeah checks all the boxes yeah so I would highly recommend okay Okay, what is your current fixation um my current fixation is probably our place everyone has probably seen like the advertisements for the our place pan um is that what it's called yeah our it's really cute. I also really like their whole story. It seems very supportive of sustainability. And I'm pretty sure the owner is also a woman of color, I think. Um, so it's pretty cool. And then they've got lots of cups and I have their whole cup collection. There's ceramic bowls. And I've just been really into like ceramic wear lately. Uh, you should talk to my husband. He's obsessed with ceramic wear. Yeah, I just moved into a new apartment and we were getting um, pans and I was I so I have been like on this huge research of all these amazing pans and I looked into our place. My only concern is that because I know that it's like multiple pans in ones essentially like you only need one. But then I feel like I would need to get a couple anyways to like use them all at once. But yeah, I was going to say usually need like three pans going at once. Right. So that was, yeah, my only concern, but it is obviously beautiful. And yeah, that's the one area I haven't like upgraded my life in whatsoever. I'm still using the pots and pans that are from my in-laws that they used 20 years ago because they don't, because you don't see them. So I don't consider them energetically, aesthetically in my field, my scope of field, but energetically. Okay, everything has an energetic frequency. And everything, I know, I know. So, yeah. So, yeah. It's even just like, the pots and pans. Even the pots and pans, dude. That's why you like nice things because they make you happy. 
So right, right, right. I, uh, it's just something I've been w- meaning to get into, but I, mm-hmm. I, I some, just one of those things I can't pull the trigger on, but I'll buy a dress. I'll buy a dress, but I won't buy the pots <laughs> and pans. <laughs> Priorities. Priorities. You know? Okay. So there's so much about you, Leah. Obviously this year has been super transformative for you, your messaging and all that, but I want to kind of start by just getting right into the nitty gritty of what is intersectional environmentalism, because you really coined that term created it brought it to the public so can you go into depth and explain that for those that aren't familiar with your work yeah i always love to start by crediting kimberly crenshaw she's an incredible um amazing black woman who created intersectional theory in 1989 i believe or 1990 and basically intersectional theory just examines all of the aspects of our identities because we're dynamic human beings from race, to culture, to wealth, to religion, to gender, to sexuality, on and on and on, and how all of those different parts of our identities might impact the way that we experience the world around us and how the world around us experiences us. So the privileges and prejudices that we face. And I learned about intersectional theory through intersectional feminism, which is a type of feminism that, you know, won't be like, oh my God, we don't want to talk about the fact that you're a black woman and like that black women make less than white women um, or certain things like that. And it acknowledges the ways that, you know, we are dynamic and it's not just we're women and we get to just ignore all the other parts of maybe trans women and their struggles or black women and their struggles and on and on and on. And I realized that something like that, a more inclusive version of environmentalism could also exist that incorporated intersectional theory because I was finding that a lot of people of color are disproportionately impacted by the climate crisis. So it felt incredibly urgent to be able to talk about identity in the context of environmentalism because environmental policies, um, unfortunately, aren't fair across the board and who they protect and who they don't. So intersectional environmentalism, to me, is a form of environmentalism that advocates for the protection of both people and the planet. And the people component aren't an optional add-on, because that's something that I've always seen. Environmental justice is like, hey, if you want to focus on it, you can. But with intersectional environmentalism, it is embedded throughout it. And hopefully the voices of people, diverse people within the movement can be amplified um, because people of color are unfortunately facing the harshest impacts of the climate crisis currently. And that's going to be the case in the future if we don't do something about it. So I think it's essential through intersectional environmentalism to realize the ways that race and privilege play a part in how someone can develop a relationship with mother nature. So how old are that's you? what it is. I'm 25. Yeah, nat- naturally, naturally. <laughs> I was like, uh, naturally. So there's this really yeah. interesting um, excerpt. I'm reading Shaman Dirk's book, and he gives an ex or an anecdote about an environmentally conscious class or whatever in college, and the teacher says, "How many of you love the environment?" And everybody's hands go up, and then she says, "How many of you think nature?" And Mother Earth loves you and their hands go down. And she's like, that's the problem is that you don't understand that our relationship with Mother Earth is a completely two way street between both of us. And it loves you just as much as you love it. And if you can't see that and that goes towards people. Right. It's the same notion. I thought that was a really beautiful way to to describe starting to understand our relationship with nature within the confines of the global climate change crisis. I don't have the right terminology, but we'll get the right terminology at the end of this podcast. 
Yeah, no, I love that quote. I've never thought of it that way. I'm, I'm going to start, I'm going to start saying that. That's great. <laughs> um, so you've kind of, as Scout mentioned, coined this, this term, this theory, if you will, and maybe like a, a conjunction of theories, but mm-hmm. what does it look like in practice? Like what are some actual steps towards ensuring that environmentalism is more inclusive is also covering every type of race and um, ensuring that every person is amplified or rather women of color, people of color, women of color are amplified even more within the movement. What are some actual practices that go into that? Yeah, I think for starters, it's re-education and relearning because I think that's something we need to do in the United States specifically when we look back at history, because I think, for example, poor teaching of the civil rights movement has led to a re-emergence of a similar civil rights movement. I think poor teaching of everything being okay and us living in a post-racial society and the civil rights movement is so long ago, um, we're seeing these things creep up time and time again. And I think something similar is happening with the environmental movement because the environmental movement, the big one in the United States that led to the creation of Earth Day and the Environmental Protection Agency happened right alongside the civil rights movement in the 60s and 70s. And I think we're having a reemergence of environmentalism and a reemergence of another civil rights movement at the same time. And I honestly think it's because everyone thought after the 60s and 70s, maybe things would be okay. We have a movement and it goes away. And the way history has been taught is that, see, we created the EPA, we've got Earth Day, we've got civil rights, segregation is over, everything's fine. And then we're learning, oh, mm, everything's not fine. So let's go back. And I think the first step is looking at environmental policy and seeing where we went wrong. And I think where people went wrong is not crediting people of color and the process during that first civil rights movement, Um, especially a lot of indigenous wisdom that has paved the way for ecosystems, ecology and environmentalism to exist. I think modern environmentalism, honestly, is just co-opting a lot of black and brown and POC cultures worldwide that have already been farming organically and regeneratively, that have already historically had a better relationship with land management and all these different things. And I think by leaving so many people out of the conversation, not acknowledging them for their contributions to environmentalism, a lot of stuff went wrong and there was a lot of silencing. And when students are taught about sustainability through a white only lens, It's not their fault necessarily, but it seems like the educational system is not crediting people and their contributions fairly. So I think rethinking history and teaching it differently so people see all the different contributions around the world to what sustainability is. And I think after that kind of unlearning and relearning, a next step is identifying the people who are doing the work because there are actually a lot of black and brown and LGBTQ plus and disabled like climate activists that have been doing this work for a really long time. So it's really important sometimes to just follow people on social media, support their work. I think when people learn about environmental racism, their first step is, oh my God, I've missed this. How did I, how did I miss this? I don't want to be racist. How can I save these people? But the question isn't how can I save these people as like a savior, but how can I amplify their message, messages, learn more about the work that they've been doing for years, and maybe use my privilege to help 
amplify their messages. And I think that's incredibly important and people can amplify through following them on social media, sharing their content, talking to their friends and family about the connect, like about climate justice and the climate crisis, um, reading their books, supporting their literature, going to their events and things like that. Um, those are just a couple steps on how people can go out into the world and be intersectional environmentalists. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about why people of color have been disproportionately affected by environmentalism and climate change um as two white women I can tell you that I was unaware of this and I I think there's there's also like a really still I know that environmentalism is quite you know trending or whatever you want to (laughs) say there's still a large population, I think Mads and me included, that have no fucking clue what to do when it comes to environmentalism. So, like, forget even yeah. forget even the racial part of this thing. We're like, where do we even start with helping the trees, you know? So right. I think there's, like, two layers here that are so important for each of these messages to get out out here. And, and you know, for the purpose of having you on, we, w- we would love to hear, and Mads, you can continue your conversation, but I just wanted to put out there that a lot of people listening to this might not even know what to do with environmentalism. Yeah, and I think that's so true. I forget what it's called, not in my backyard. Like, if something is not happening in your communities, um, if people don't hang out with a lot of Black people, um, if your friends all look like you, if you're living in a primarily white environment, then you, unless it's like a mining community that's like an exception, then you probably have access to parks. You probably don't have to worry about lead being in your water. Um, I went to school in Orange County. That's where I went to college. And I can't imagine children in Orange County, white children, drinking lead water. Like many communities across the United States that are primarily black and brown or low income, like Flint, Michigan being a big example, living with water that was polluted where they couldn't shower in it, they couldn't drink it, and it had lead and their children have like brain issues. And I think we have to really maybe get a little uncomfortable. It's not a whole lot of fun, but why are black, brown, and low-income children in the United States drinking lead water for over a year when that would be almost unimaginable? I live in Ventura right now, formerly Santa Barbara. I can't even imagine that. And I think it's because it feels so foreign, but we need to realize that it's not. It's happening to a lot of people in the United States. And I think to answer your question, like why are people of color disproportionately impacted by climate justice? I mean, I think it's because segregation wasn't that long ago. Um, I think it's important for people to get real with themselves and realize the statistics that during the civil rights movement, 60% of Americans, over 60%, so that's 60% of most of our grandparents, not mine, um, didn't support Martin Luther King Jr. I would get if that statistic was like Malcolm X or you know someone that was a little more extreme, but our grandparents and many of our parents were not really super duper comfortable with the civil rights movement. Um, and I think that wasn't so far removed. So for me, it's not, I guess, it's not strange to think that maybe 50 years later, not a lot has changed. And there are still a lot of people who don't prioritize the livelihoods of other people. And it's not because they're terrible people, but if it's not in your backyard, if it's not in your community, if you don't see it, and if you're not affected by it, then it's really easy for some of these um, laws to be passed. But to give specific examples, because I think that might be helpful, um, it would maybe be a coinky dink if it was one environmental injustice that disproportionately impacted black and brown people. Like, okay, say it was just water. 
but it's not. It's access to clean air, um, access to clean water, proximity to toxic waste sites, proximity to landfills, um, aid when it comes to natural disasters. If you look at Hurricane Katrina and who was given aid and who wasn't, there are several factors where black and brown people are disproportionately impacted. And I think my theory is it's just because of, um, you know, racism in this country. And that's, that's my, that's my conclusion. Do you think, and this, I'm just trying to connect lines as to how potentially this has all come about other than well, it's rooted in racism, but the fact that when they made a law in the, I, I couldn't tell you in the mid 1900s, I'm not, not sure the exact date, but they made a law that essentially once segregation ended, the white people were really upset that black children were going to be going to schools with their white children. So what they yeah. did was they created the uh, city school county lines, essentially forcing all black people to live in a different county because they couldn't afford to live in the white county. And then if you lived in County A, which was white county, you went to a better school and your school was better funded because it, it was funded by income taxes. So yeah. that pushed all people of color as well as low-income people into city lines that did not receive government aid as they or they disproportionately received government aid than the white counties with the um, bigger income tax breaks so that really in my opinion one fucked us over for racism forever because that has completely kept people in geographical locations that restrain them. And then two, this is a byproduct of that. This is just like, okay, well, you're in a low-income town, so we don't care if we put this thing that has pollution because you're a low-income city, not, you know, Beverly Hills. They would never put something like that next to Beverly Hills. So this specific law, which when I learned about it, I was so shocked by, I think is one of the root causes of poverty continuing, like the poorer get poorer kind of mentality, as well as all these environmental factors as to why these communities aren't getting the quality aid and the quality resources that they need yeah i completely agree i think i think what is it called redlining and different things yeah, like that yeah, it's, like yeah. ger- it's like gerrymandering right i don't know what that kind means of, oh uh, <laughs> that means like right. that's, <laughs> i think that's more so like for political purposes but it's it's similar okay. where you're redraw redrawing the county lines and the lines that will enact voting and what all that good stuff yeah that is i mean it's just i mean it's obviously devastating it's i think as two white women it's something this year that we have been coming to terms with again and again in a very a much more meaningful and uh impactful way so i kind of want to speak to you about the BLM movement that erupted, I mean, obviously BLM existed prior to this, but the response to George Floyd's murder, um, we always preface this on OKSIS. When we talk to black women, we ask them about this time in 2020. We are not looking to you to give us, you know, resources and answers. Like all white women listening to this, it is on you to do your own education and seek other resources as you see fit. But I think it would diminish your experience to not ask you, like, one, how are you doing? Two, you your platform really erupted mm-hmm. after this incident. So 
I think it, it, we need to touch on it and kind of talk to us about how your life changed, how this message of yours was amplified and what kind of responsibilities do you feel now to kind of continue this conversation and just kind of like, what, what have you been feeling lately? Yeah. I mean, I am tired. I think a lot of black people are tired. Um, it's been a rough year. Um, I personally kind of woke up to all of this because I lived in St. Louis, Missouri. I lived right outside of Ferguson and I was there on college break when um, the shooting of Michael Brown happened, which I'm sure he was only a couple of circles of friends away. And that was a really big wake up call for me on like excessive force and how those sorts of things can really um, impact a different community. And then I also started studying environmental science after that. So just for context for anyone listening, um, a police shooting really affected my hometown. And then I went off to school to start studying environmental science and policy. So that's why climate justice is so enmeshed for me, I think, because those things started happening at the same time. Um, But I'm doing okay. I think it is odd to grapple with the fact that my platform blew up because of Black death because of me talking and basically begging environmentalists with a pretty graphic to care about me. And that came from a place of immense sadness, even though the graphic that went viral, environmentalists for Black Lives Matter with my definition of intersectional environmentalism, it's all pretty, it's got rainbows and everything. And it's because in some ways it was tone policing because I knew if I said it in a certain way, then I would be seen as like the angry black woman. But if I packaged it in a rainbow, maybe environmentalists will care and kind of worked. I wasn't expecting them to care this much and I'm so grateful for this platform, but um, it is very strange in a matter of months to go from being relatively unknown to like the spokesperson on intersectional environmentalism. And I'm very grateful, but at the end of the day, everything I do is because I want to make the world a little bit more equitable um, for under amplified voices. So, yeah. So what was it like being featured in Vogue and Goop? Because I can imagine, you know, I think that Mads and I've talked a little bit about this. When you have a platform, it comes with a certain, like you're letting a lot of energetic frequencies into your daily life. You're letting a lot of DMs, you're letting a lot of comments, maybe some hate, requests to do this, requests to do that. And, but then again, dreams are coming true. Like you're, you're being on Vogue and you're being on Goop and you can be in that duality. It can be overwhelming and scary and tiring and exciting and fulfilling and rewarding at the same time. But what was it like when Vogue reached out to you? Um, that happened really quickly. I think it was like after the first week of it going viral and this really sweet Vogue editor was like, Hey, do you want to write like an op-ed? And it was just insane to me, but it was also, I was furloughed at the time. I was like, I think it's time for me to just quit. Like, I think this might be going somewhere. Um, So it was so great, but I don't know how to explain it. I used to work on the PR team at Patagonia. So I was really used to PR. What I was doing every day in my job was checking the Patagonia press inbox and quickly, frantically responding to media requests. And I had gone through a couple like campaign pitch send out type situation so I was used to receiving all those emails and thank god I worked in PR because it felt a little less overwhelming when I was just suddenly being bombarded with like emails and things like that but I mean it is such an honor to be featured in these platforms and I love I think what I want to do is show people that activism doesn't need to look a certain way. Climate activism doesn't need to look a certain way. Um, We don't need to be these super serious, not fun people 
people that aren't featured in like Goop and Refinery29, like I really want to infiltrate, not even just me personally, but other climate activists, like infiltrate the mainstream, infiltrate some of these bigger platforms to show people like, hey, we're just people, we like to hang out too. We also like to watch Netflix and also want to dismantle systems of oppression in the climate movement, but like, okay. Yeah, I think I think you were really smart. I mean, you said earlier, like you made sure the graphic and the post was kind of, you know, on par with Instagram trends. You engineered it for virality. It reminds me a lot of what um, we had Dom Roberts on our podcast and she kind of went through the same similar. She's kind of going through the same thing as you where her platform has completely erupted. And it was because of this one viral graphic that she made. And she was like, look, I want to make I want to make anti-racism something that people want to learn and share about. It doesn't have to be this bleak um you know, not, not colorful, not that, you know, it's something, if it gets people talking, that's what we need. So I think it was really smart of you to position it that way. And also to position your whole movement on, Hey, this is a, this is a sexy topic. Like we can be (laughs) millennials and still, you know, be part of this. And I think, I think we need that. Cause honestly, I'm, I mean, I'm going to be honest, like, like climate change freaks me the fuck out. And like, if I think about it too much, I like want to have an anxiety attack. So if it can come to me in a more digestible and a more approachable way, then that's, that's, that's the solution, honestly, because I think a lot of people are overwhelmed by it. You got to know your audience. No, you got to know your audience or else you're talking to nobody. And that's, there's no point in that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think sometimes the feedback that I get which could be frustrating is when people are like, oh, you're too like palatable or like people only like you because you're like, eh, you're talking about it this way. And it's really frustrating to me because I'm like, I want to be approachable. I want to be like, I'm going to hold people accountable. You know, I will scream at people sometimes, but most of the time, like I, I want to get as many people interested in a topic that they might not know a lot about. I was an environmental science student and I remember like trying to have conversations with people in college with all these big words. And I realized, you know what? I would rather be more accessible and not just exclude people. So that's why I became a writer and started, you know, being a communications person because I want to communicate environmental messages to the everyday person. And that's the same with social justice issues. I never want people to feel excluded just because they don't know all the terminology. Like I will gladly explain it, um, not to everyone because people send me a lot of DMs, but I will try my best to explain it because I don't want social justice or environmentalism to be scarier or, you know, not like all exclusive than it already is. There's them. Um, re- I just finished Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And she has this one anecdote where she submitted her first her her what if she submitted a short story to Esquire, I think it was, and they picked it up and it was her first publishing break. She had sent so many like rejection letter after rejection letter she got like for years. And then they came back to her and they said, hey, one of our advertisers pulled out and we need to cut the magazine by 20 percent. Can you please cut 30 percent of your short story? And she could have said fuck you, that's my writing and my art. And they would have said, okay, I'm sorry. And it would have sat on a shelf and no one would have read it because she's being a stupid martyr. And she said, (laughs) I'll cut 30% of that story. 
and it got published and people read it and it started her career. So sometimes we get so precious about our mm. message and about our delivery and about who we are. Like I'm writing a book right now and I read it to my grandma and my grandma says, you have to cut this out. You sound like a pretentious asshole. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry that I bought Gucci shoes last week and I want to celebrate. She's like, but that's going to stop people from reading your book. You need to. No, but it's true. Like you need to. No, I'm great. Guys, I'm serious. Like, and it hurt. It hurt for a second. I was like, well, that's my truth. I don't. I, you want me to not say my truth? And she's like, this isn't about you. This is about how many more people can you reach? And I was like, oh, you're right. So we agreed that I would write it the way I want to write it. Me, me, me. And then if an editor says, you can't say this, you have to slash this, you have to change this, you have to package it this way, if that's going to get more eyeballs on it, that's going to get change happening in this world, and the alternative is it sitting on your shelf. Mm. So yeah. you got you to gotta adapt to what people want. It's hard. It's hard because you – it there. that's an interesting – I mean, I've never really thought of it that way because I feel like all of the messaging – in the world right now in media and social media is be authentic, be yourself, be true. Da, 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 da. But it is, it is, it is true that you have to think about how will your message get across to the most people? What, what is the biggest impact it can have? And sometimes that means sacrificing a little bit of your authenticity. Well, if it's just is your rambling on about Gucci shoes, if, is your authenticity worth more than your message? I feel like it really depends. It's such a hard, like there are certain things that's a hard no that I'm not planning. I'm never going to greenwash. Like I'm not about to be up here greenwashing and lying to people in that way. But that's changing your message. Your message can stay the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's such, it's hard. It is really hard because sometimes when I'm writing a caption and I'm super passionate and I'm like pissed off, but then I have that moment that's like, wait, let me take a step back. Let me give this a day. Let me reflect on it. And then when I write it again, like I'm glad that I didn't press post in that moment. And I'm like, well, this is my authentic truth. This is how I'm feeling. But sometimes those feelings might need a, a couple days to really be whatever that authentic truth is because feelings are, they're fleeting. They come and go and sometimes they stick around. And I think for me, that's been the biggest, the biggest challenge when I want to react right away. But then I realize, oh crap. There's like a lot of people following me that maybe I should think about the way that I'm conveying my message. But yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard line to walk. It's a hard balance. Hard balance mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about like sustainability and sustainable brands because. Tell me what to do. Had, yeah. Well, first of all, we had the founder of the good, tr- of the daily, go- sorry, the good trade. Oh yeah. I was great for them. Uh, Amy. We Amazing. them. Amazing. Um, so she was I mean that and that is really the first my first injury as I mentioned I'm like I get paralyzed when I think about (laughs) climate change because I just (laughs) I'm getting I'm just so stressed so the good trade was actually a really great introduction and ease into that world because it again talk about aesthetics like it's a great aesthetically pleasing place to start so talk to us about some sustainable brands, some brands that just are like killing it right now in the sustainability game and like who you really admire or like who to look for in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think lately I've just been finding out that no one is perfect and it's actually been the most refreshing thing in the world. Like some of the sustainable brands that maybe six months ago, I would have been like this one, they've been like canceled and dragged on social media. And I'm like, I never would have thought 
2020, just bringing up some things. Um, but I think now a couple of brands that I really like are Boyish, Boyish Jeans, really cool denim company, sustainably made in LA. There's also a company named East West Shop, and they actually made um, the merchandise for um, intersectional environmentalists. We did a fundraiser with Scrap Tees. So basically they work with this black owned scrap house in Compton. So they're taking like rags and scrap shirts that might have a couple holes in them and they're saving them from the landfill and making them into something new. So I love East West Shop. And I also really like, what are some other brands I really like? Hmm. I mean, I used to work at Patagonia. They've got cute stuff. I like to style it a little bit differently than they do, but they've got some good stuff and they really are kind of the top tier of sustainability. Um, and then another brand I really like is LA Relaxed. They have a lot of really cute loungewear and then a bigger brand I really do like um, that's maintained a sense of integrity and sustainability and body acceptance is Girlfriend Collective. Um, is Reformation sustainable? No, oh, they got like canceled? Well, <laughs> well, they didn't get canceled, but Yael Aflalo is yeah. a little uh, yeah, controversial. I I believe in accountability and I yeah. do believe in redemption and it seems like they have to do that. I think um, there are people that are close in my life who have potentially worked at certain places that have told me some stories and unfortunately I've connected with a lot of their former employees um, and I think they have work to do and I think what we're learning from them, because I think they are moving in the right direction, go Reformation, I believe in you, is that we're really realizing in the sustainability community that sustainability alone isn't enough. If you're sustainable in your supply chain, but you treat your workers like shit, like this isn't enough. If you're sustainable on your supply chain, but your CEO is taking pictures, eating fried chicken during Black History Month, mm -hmm. that is not enough. So I think there's a lot of important case studies from that experience to see okay sustainability isn't enough people also just want people to be nice and they want to have a good work environment and it seems again i believe in accountability and redemption i've told them this everything that i'm telling you all so um i think there's good that can be done but that's um that's yeah, a very that, that's that a very beautiful way to look at it <laughs> yeah redemption because no, i think i think yeah yeah that's you have a way too much patience oy vey. i'm like no, but I think I think we're canceling a lot of people and I think we should give them a chance to learn because if they learn and educate themselves, they might make a greater impact mm -hmm. on restructuring their company and their employees and everything than just hiring mm -hmm. somebody else who has a better track record, but maybe didn't yeah. do the work either, and you it, know, and I, I really agree with that. It's a holistic approach to business. I'm starting my own business and I after, um, you know, I saw the founder of The Wing stepped down and founder of Manor Peller stepped down. It was just Bando, Bando because down. of these toxic work environments from from brands that I that I really looked up to in terms of inclusivity and in terms of racial diversity. And then to understand that it was all more so a kind of badge of honor and like a like a I don't know. A branding, a branding ploy, ploy is really frustrating, and I and I'm I mean it's obviously way more frustrating for people of color to you know finally be like yo like behind the scenes is not is not good and 
I think that really opened up my eyes because I really look up to those to those mm -hmm. women and to those founders. And um, as I create my own business, I'm trying to think like, how do I implicitly like engineer diversity into mm -hmm. not even just into the workplace and into who I'm hiring, but into the product itself? Like, how do you? actually implement change rather than just kind of saying you are just being like, yeah, we, we have to, we have to do diversity. It's like another checkbox. How does it become an actual strategy of yours? And I've been thinking a lot about that because it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. feel, um, it feels like some nice to have, not mm -hmm. a need to have. If it makes people. you better at all. And I really love telling people this, like even the best companies don't have this shit figured out. Like, and I can, I'm not going to name any names, but like I work somewhere that is like the top company when it comes to sustainable apparel and they're good people, but they are also struggling when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And I think it's just, if we accept as a country, if we accept as a world that we are learning together, like there will be mistakes that are made along the way. But I think the sexiest thing a brand can do for me is to just be transparent like, okay, all your executives are white, at least tell us, like, don't pretend in your marketing, like, oh, we're so, we love diversity and inclusion, but everyone in the company is a man, like, okay, that's okay, and that's fine if that's how the company is, but I would rather them be transparent, and I think where people go wrong is when they're, they're too afraid to tell people what's really going on, but, you know, the light will always come out you know so or the darkness will always peek out so i think just being transparent about what they're working on what their goals are and not doing it in a pr way i think people would i would love that i love when brands tell me what they're doing wrong like i absolutely love that i know patagonia had a campaign where basically everything was made out of recycled materials except for one one part of it that was just really difficult to make with recycled materials and people are like why are they doing that what's going on but it's showing them that that brand is committed to one day figuring out an innovative solution to replace the one piece instead of lying and saying like we are the best of the best of the best and everything's perfect because it's a lot easier to find cracks and it seems like people in 2020 because we're all inside we're reflecting on our work environments and what we didn't like People are ready to drag and cancel people right now. So now is the perfect time to be transparent and accountable. And it's so true. I think we saw a lot of that accountability and transparency come come through after George Floyd's death. I mean, every brand imaginable was <laughs> listing their flaws and saying where they got where they went wrong. And it was you're right. It was a bit refreshing to feel and like even companies like revolve like coming out and saying like we're sorry we fucked up like brand like when do, have companies done yeah. something like that like it is actually really refreshing and interesting this time this 2020 time we're living in i mean yeah. oy vey okay wait but but leah is not a diversity company sorry, sorry. strategist so i want to i want to talk about sustainability i want to talk about because that's your expertise and i and you know i want to like have our listeners really leave and have a really good understanding of how they can today we talked about how to you know kind of support intersectional environmentalism by following the women of color and men of color who are doing this work and supporting their you know going to their events or their ig lives or you know buying their book whatever it might be but let's talk about really small things like now let's talk about us as consumers and how we can vote with our dollar towards a more yeah. sustainable world 
question for me, because this is something that I've been really passionate about, and I don't know if this is the most sustainable option. Is it more sustainable to shop small than to shop big, like in general? I think nothing is ever like black and white, and there's a lot of nuances to that. And um, like those either or questions are hard, because if you're shopping locally, but they're still making things like terribly, then that's probably not great. Um, You're shopping locally and their kids are like working 20 hour days to like make those artisan bags that are sold in their stores. So it's kind of hard. I definitely would need to assess it on like um, brand per brand. Yeah, by brand, but I guess to answer your question, um, I think it is better most of the time to shop locally, especially during the pandemic, because so many businesses are like losing their money. So I think to build community, that's a great thing. Um, and also if the products are being made like locally, that usually is more sustainable. Um, so usually that's probably the better option. So what are things to look at as far as looking up a brand's history, labels? What are some kind of key things to identify? Because I know when you go to the grocery store, it says organic or vegan, you know. What do I look for if I want to find, you know, a skincare product that's both clean and sustainable? What are some keywords that I should be looking for either in their history or, you know, something easy to identify? Yeah, I love when brands have a sustainability report and a lot of sustainable brands will have one. So if you want to go to their website, see if they have a sustainability report or metrics, I would definitely just look at their website. Um, There's a couple brands that I really like that I can name drop later. Activist Collective, they're really great. I just name dropped that. um, Yeah, I would look at their website and see what resources they have there because you'll be able to tell if a company is greenwashing really quickly. If, okay, they're- What's greenwashing? What's greenwashing? So greenwashing is when a company is falsely claiming that they are more sustainable than they are. So for example, like BP was saying all the good things that they were doing for the environment, which is true, but they're also by being BP, like destroying the planet or a couple words that people use um, that are not um, regulated are eco-friendly. Green is not regulated. I think natural is regulated. You're not allowed to say that as much anymore plant-based, I think, is now regulated, plant-derived. So there's certain words that people will say that hold weight and they don't. So if a company says we are green, but they're not really giving you any sort of metric of what it means to be green. And then if you look at their ingredients and they have like parabens and all these other things and silicones and they're lying and they're greenwashing. So they're trying to persuade you through their marketing that they are more eco-friendly or natural than they actually are. So that happened when the organic movement started. Like Chobani yeah. said they were organic or something, and they totally weren't. Like a, that's a been a problem. Clean, a lot of with clean every beauty new thing. is also very interesting because there's you can claim your clean beauty and like legit just not be. Like in Sephora, there's a whole like shelf of clean beauty, and it's like you guys should. I mean, everyone should be very like weary, uh, like weary of the of that shelf because I think. Well, at least in LA, I know Detox Market and Credo Beauty are like fully clean products. But I mean, it's tr- it's really tricky because brands, as you said, like will just put these kind of buzzwords on products. So really, do your research and and understand if these are if these are good ingredients to be either ingesting or putting on your skin. Also, I got really good advice when I when someone kind of introduced me to the clean beauty space she was like that body wash of yours has so much chemicals that are going into your body I was like okay well I have like x amount of dollars worth of products I can't just go out and replace every single one tomorrow it's 
financially ridiculous and wasteful. And so she said, she said to me, okay, every time you run out of a product, instead of going to buy the CVS version with all the chemicals, do your research and find a product that you like that's clean. So I think that's a really good way for us to start now implementing sustainable items. Like if I need a new pair of jeans, instead of going to my regular, you know, I can look up a pair of sustainable, a, a company that makes sustainable jeans and just start replacing things little by little. Absolutely. And that's something that I try to encourage people. Like I think some sustainability, some sustainability people are like mean and they definitely will shame people and be like, you don't have all glass mason jars. Like you need to throw everything away. Like, no, 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 that's not sustainability. You already have stuff. Yeah. So if you already like, <laughs> don't put it in the landfill. <laughs> what? Like, okay. So you've got maybe a couple pairs of jeans that aren't made sustainably. We'll try to wear those jeans for as long as possible. Try to embroider them, try to take them to the tailor. Like even if you have certain skincare products, it's super, it's not accessible to just be like, okay, everyone, you need to go to Goop and you need to buy the most expensive, like ayahuasca laced, like skincare. Like absolutely not. <laughs> like I'm not, Sign me up. I'm not going to do that. I don't know where that came from, but like, I mean, that's a good idea. Okay, it's it's the little changes. Even if you're changing your face wash after you're done with it, you know, you don't need to throw everything away because I don't want people to think they can buy their way into sustainable living because people will trick you. That's marketing to make you think that you need to spend money to be sustainable when really that's kind of ironic that doesn't really go together if you have things at your house already that you can repurpose if you want to look up recipes that you can make your own skincare at home so you know that it's like green if you're getting some organic you know fruits and things like that I think there are other ways to be sustainable and you don't have to throw everything away and start that's why I'm not buying my new glasses from very shop I'm being (laughs) sustainable because I don't I already have the glasses I don't need to throw those out you know It all comes full circle. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the future of intersectional intersectional environmentalism as your brand because um, you've created, obviously, as you were mentioning, you had campaigns, you have merch, and um, you have a whole separate Instagram Mm -hmm. account dedicated to the movement. So talk about a little bit. What are your goals? What is coming up in the future surrounding it? So a couple different things. Um, I really enjoy the Instagram and the website, and that's going through a couple different iterations of just creating cool, shareable graphics that are communicating, like what you all were saying earlier, that are communi- communicating climate information in a way that's not, not like doomsday, scaring and like- shame-based. <laughs> yeah. And we also want to make sure that we really prioritize self-care um, and also solutions because people are hearing a lot about the bad. So we're really going to focus moving forward on climate solutions and finding stories of really inspiring people worldwide that are doing great things for um, the climate. Um, so definitely delving into a little bit more media. So there's going to be a podcast, um, maybe exploring some short form and long form uh documentary type opportunities, hopefully. And then in terms of IE, one of our main focuses is is that consulting component. Um, We didn't ask for this, but we are so happy. We've had about 300 companies reach out wanting to partner with us or be certified. So we're basically- Oh, that's a thing. I know someone who does that. Yeah? Yeah. Fuck, if I remember who it is. I just know it's someone who knows our family. They, their whole thing is that, oh, it's a, it's a, Mads, I'll tell you who she is later. You know her. It's your friend, actually. Um, she certifies companies. She works for a company 
that gives other companies certifications as sustainable companies, essentially. Hmm, that's awesome. We're going to be designing something similar, but having metrics for both diversity and inclusion and sustainability um, because there's no intersectional environmentalist program. So we're working on an accountability program, which we've kind of touched on some of my thoughts on accountability. Like there's room for redemption, there's room for doing better. And we're here to help companies that want to communicate these complex issues to the public and internally. We're here to help them do that successfully. And you know, learn about diversity and inclusion in a, in a new way um, through intersectionality and not necessarily, I've been in diversity and inclusion trainings that just felt really uncomfortable and like awkward and nobody really liked it. And we want to try to find ways to make it really engaging and talk about that and also talk about environmentalism and sustainability in a new way. Wow. Beautiful. Just like breathtaking. Just, oh, I'm just, this makes me just so excited for the future. And it makes me, again, makes me excited to learn more about sustainability and in particular intersectional environmentalism. Like, as we said, it's just that's where you get people is if you get them excited to start learning about this. And I'm just so excited because I can see you creating a very large company that's going to affect real change in this country. And you're going to be in history books. <laughs> Leah. Green girl, Leah. In history, in history books. books. We're here for it. Can you believe? Can you believe? Okay, Scout, ask our favorite question. Yes. Okay, so we ask all of our guests this before we let them go on with their day. Um, if you could humbly brag about anything you've accomplished in this life, it could be personal, career-wise, relationship-wise, what would you brag about and don't be humble? That's a great question. What would I brag about? I don't even um, – maybe I'd just be like – I wrote for Vogue, I think. <laughs> yeah. Huge girl. Flex. Huge flex. Good one. I don't know. Like I started a movement low key. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I was like, we can name a few. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, we could do it for you if you want. Oh my God. I love that. Oh. Okay. Well, let everybody know where they can find you so they can support you and your work and also become informed and inspired and tag along for your journey. Yay, people can follow me on Green Girl Leah or at Intersectional Environmentalist on Instagram. And also, I think I have a Facebook. I don't use it, but. Um. <laughs> and you can find us at OKSIS Podcast. Thanks, Thanks sisters. sisters. Hey there, I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. If there's one thing I know from both my personal and clinical experience, it's that we are really good at comparing ourselves to others. We tend to get stuck in the unhelpful narratives that play on repeat in our minds, and we struggle to set boundaries and create healthy love. Each week, I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife, mother, and business owner to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life tune in every thursday to i'm not your shrink wherever you listen to podcasts while i'm not your shrink i am still human and i'm excited for us to be in our vulnerability and humanness together